بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين سيدنا ونبينا وحبيبنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين ومن تبعهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل لقدة من لساني يفقه قولي أما بعد Respected elders, dear brothers and sisters, my young friends, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. MashaAllah, it's uh, wonderful to have you join us uh, once again uh, this Saturday evening uh, for session two of uh, Refresh for Ramadan. Uh, and inshaAllah, tonight we will be uh, discussing Ramadan in the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, for those of us who were not able to join us last week, uh, we discussed rethinking Ramadan because this is most likely going to be a very different Ramadan than what we are accustomed to or what most of us have ever lived through. Um, therefore, we were um, having a discussion with regards to what are the changes or rather what are the things that will remain the same. So, of course, the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the forgiveness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, inshallah, will be there. The virtues of Ramadan will continue to be there, inshallah. Ramadan will be continue to be a mubarak, a, a blessed month, inshallah. Uh, but of course, there will be things that will that will change if, with regards to our accessibility of the masjid, um, not being able to go to the masjid. And essentially, uh, the bottom line is that up until now, we have been quite accustomed to depending on others uh, for building our uh, our, um, uh, experience, our our Ramadan experience. Uh, but this time, the onus is falling upon us to build our own Ramadan uh, and not be perhaps so dependent uh, on others this time around, inshallah. Uh, so for those who are interested, inshallah, you can find um, the last uh, lecture from last Saturday, inshallah. Um, you can find it on our uh, uh, YouTube channel, Canada Muslims, and you can also find it on our Facebook page um, as well. Um, as the month of Ramadan approaches us, this is like has been likened to... Uh, uh, a very special guest that is coming our way that that is going to come and stay with us for 29 or 30 days. Um, so if we imagine, you know, if there was royalty or a VIP who was coming uh, and was going to be staying with us in our home, you know, you can imagine what sort of preparation uh, that we would be making uh, to welcome that guest uh, to ensure that their stay uh, was uh, comfortable and that, you know, their stay with us is is memorable and meaningful. So these are the things that you know we would be thinking about in terms of our preparations. Um, so therefore, with the month of Ramadan coming to us as well, um, that's the type of mi mindset we should be in. That you know uh, there is a, a a very very special guest that is coming to us, um, and this is the you know being in the company of this guest, experiencing um, this guest for us is a great honor. Um, and therefore, we want to try to make every single moment and every single second um, of our uh, good company with this uh, blessed and the, with, this, with this virtuous guest. One of the ways uh, to get prepared for the month of Ramadan, and I believe, well, it's probably one of the most important ways, is actually to refresh our understanding, refresh our memory of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said about this blessed month, to go over what the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam 
uh, has taught us about this blessed month because you know everything that we learn about the month of Ramadan in terms of its virtues, in terms of you know why it's special, and in terms of um, you know why we should be honoring it, and 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 the obligations and the sunnas and all of those things comes from the primary sources, right? It comes from the Quran and it comes from the Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So it only makes sense then that we go to those sources. Uh, to to refresh ourselves and to really get into the the the, the Ramadan zone, uh, Subhanallah. You know, a, a few weeks ago, about a month or so ago, um, a good brother in the community, Mashallah, Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, protect and preserve him, uh, approached me privately and said, "Okay, you know, what advice do you have for Ramadan?" And I said, "Well, honestly, I don't really have much to offer. Um, there's others who are much more knowledgeable, much more experienced, but personally, what I like to do." is before Ramadan comes around is really to you know go over the ahadith of the Prophet وسلم, with regards to Ramadan and go over the verses of the Quran of course as well go through the tafsir and just really you know develop or or, or rekindle that 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 appreciation for this time that is coming to us because you know if you are used to having a you know someone special visit you regularly after some time you might even not realize or you may forget um what makes them special you know what is so special about being in their company because it's human nature that once we get used to something right we start taking it for granted right isn't that the case that when you know we are accustomed to a blessing of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we are accustomed to a certain occurrence uh, that happen that starts happening regularly then you know we start taking it for granted and maybe we don't value it as much so that's why i feel that it is really important that we um, go back to the primary sources and redevelop that excitement and 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 that you know that that zeal and and that love for the month of Ramadan by going through the words of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala and the teachings of the Prophet and the practice of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam during this blessed month. So inshallah, that is what we're going to be doing today, and we will be going over uh, the words of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala with regards to the month of Ramadan. Um, so the, the mention of the month of Ramadan and especially fasting and uh, the things associated with Ramadan comes in Surah Al-Baqarah. Okay, so the second chapter of the Quran in verse 183 in ayah number 183 is where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings in the first mention, the first dhikr of the month of Ramadan and it starts off with the fasting. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا كُتِبَ عَلَيْكُمُ الصِّيَامُ كَمَا كُتِبَ عَلَى الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبَلِكُمْ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ And this verse starts with يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا And one of the, um, the, the, the hints that we get from that is that this verse was revealed, this command was revealed in Medina. After the hijrah of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and this is a, a, a general uh, principle. Most of the time, um, it is generally said that you know the verses that start with Ya Ayuhannas, O people, were generally revealed during the Meccan period when the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was living and residing in Mecca. And Ya Ayuhaladina Amanu verses generally not doesn't necessarily have to be in every single instance, but generally were revealed. In Medina or or in the Medinan phase after the Hijrah of the Prophet وسلم, after the migration from Mecca to Medina. So at first there was no fasting uh, specified in, in, in Mecca when the Muslim community was establishing itself. So the month of Ramadan existed. 
However, there was no obligatory fasting in the month of Ramadan at that time. And then, um, oh, but rather, however, the Quraysh, right? So the people of Mecca used to fast on the day of Ashura, right? On the day of the 10th of Muharram for atonement of their sins. And the Prophet ﷺ would also fast on that day. But of course, he would be doing it for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Aisha radiallahu anha uh, uh, relates that كان يوم عاشوراء تصومه قريش في الجاهلية وكان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يصومه فلما قدم المدينة صامه وأمر بسيامه فلما فرض رمضان ترك يوم عاشوراء فمن شاء صامه ومن شاء تركه So the Prophet وسلم, used to fast on the day of Ashura and after uh, arriving in, in Medina after the month of uh, the fasting of Ramadan became obligatory then um, the 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 uh, fasting of the day of Ashura was uh, was let go. However, it was considered optional, and whoever wanted to fast on that day would fast on that day. But it was not a requirement. Now, this command of fasting on the month in the month of Ramadan came 18 months after the Hijrah, right? And that is when this verse was revealed, and the fasting of Ramadan became mandatory on all believers. However, this fasting did evolve a bit, inshallah, we'll talk about that a bit later on. Now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, after, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, kutiba alaykum as-sayyam, right? Kutiba, so it has been written for you, it has been prescribed for you. And it's interesting that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, uses the word kutiba for, for this psalm, for this fasting, um, meaning that it has been written and it has been prescribed. Now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best as to the actual, you know, exact wisdom um, for using the word uh, kutiba, um, but it could be, and Allah knows best, but it could be to emphasize um, the importance, right? So you think of it as a prescription or a remedy because matters that are extremely important are the matters that are written down and things are more serious when they are written. And there's, you know, I was thinking about this, I was reflecting upon this, and there's only, you know, a few uh, commands in the Quran in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has used the word kutiba. Uh, you know, for example, you know, so with regards to, you know, wills um, that, you know, um, it's important to to write down, um, you know, your instructions with regards to your, your bequest and, you know, your uh, your estate before before you die, before you pass away. Um, right. So retribution and, and, and punishments with regards to, um, you know, serious crimes. That is something which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala used the word kutiba for. Um, so. Again, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best as to the exact um, reason or the wisdom behind the use of that term. But think of it, you know, as a prescription. And and subhanAllah, you know, I like to think of fasting as an annual prescription, right? It's a prescription with, with that repeats itself every year. It's not a one-time prescription. We have one-time prescription, for example, the hajj, right? Which is a one-time obligation. But then we have annual prescription so this ramadan fasting is an annual prescription and allah out of his wisdom and his knowledge knows that this is something that we need this is something that we need once every 11 12 months right otherwise if we do not practice this right and of course those who are not able to are excuse um and have other uh, options available uh, to accommodate them but generally ramadan fasting right is something which we Need and this is a reminder also that all of the obligations that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put upon us and all the prohibitions He has put upon us are for our own benefit. If a person does not practice 
upon the guidance of Allah and His Messenger وسلم, does not take the prohibited to be prohibited, does not take the obligatory to be obligatory, then they are only harming themselves. It is not going to harm Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They are going to harm only themselves. So this is an annual prescription. Now, the next word we find is kutiba alaykum as-siyam, right? That the, the, uh, the prescribed upon you has been the fasting. And that is how it is generally translated. When we say psalm or, or, or um, you know, we use the plural siyam, we say fast and fasting. Um, but... It has a much um, broader meaning because literally what it refers to is abstinence, to refrain from something. To refrain for something is to engage in, in to engage in psalm. So for our ummah, for for this nation of, of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, for our times, this refers to abstaining from food, abstaining from drink, and abstaining from physical intimacy, right, um, in its ultimate form. Uh, so those are the things that we are commanded to refrain from. However, it is more than that, right? And I was just talking to the children last night in our children's circle session. So this is something that should be very, very clear that yes, while the food, the focus is on the food and the drink um, and ensuring that, you know, we are meeting the, the, the technical uh, legal definition of a fast, of a psalm, However, it is more than that because the Prophet ﷺ said that right, that fasting is a shield or you could say a screen or a shelter. So the person who is observing fasting should avoid you know, intimate uh, relations at the ultimate level and should not behave foolishly and impudently. And the Prophet ﷺ said that that if somebody fights with a person or insults a person, that he should say twice, he should tell him twice that I am fasting. Right? So here the Prophet ﷺ has indicated to us, number one, that fasting is a shield. And in some narrations, we find that it is a shield from the fire. Because a person who has fasted and who has done so sincerely for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, inshallah, their fasting will act as a shield between them and the fire of Jahannam, inshallah, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us all. Now, some of the scholars have also said that it is a shield from sins. Fasting is a shield from sins. And there's the famous hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, where he was addressing, you know, young people, uh, especially young men. And he said, Ya ma'ashar al-shabaab, man istata'a minkum al-ba'ata falitizawwaj. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was encouraging marriage um, to uh, young men. Uh, for those who are capable uh, of getting married and are, are um, have the ability to um, uphold the obligations of uh, that come with marriage and the responsibilities that come with marriage, but then at the end, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said um, that whoever is not able to do so, he should fast, because fasting is a shield, a form of protection. Uh, so from there, we understand that fasting also serves the purpose of shielding a person from their desires and shielding them from committing sins. And this is brought together by saying that it's a shield from sins and that naturally makes it a shield against the fire of hell as well. Because the main reason, right, one of the main reasons that a person will be exposed to the fire of hell will be because of their misdeeds, because of their sins. So inshallah, 
in that way, it, the, the fasting will protect them um, in both ways, insha'Allah. So therefore, the Prophet ﷺ said that do not speak foolishly or impudently, meaning don't be, you know, uh, don't speak in a vulgar way, in an obscene manner, um, and do not do the actions of the ignorant, such as, you know, shouting unnecessarily or using bad language and, and, and committing offensive acts, right? So be careful. So we learn from this that fasting is not, again, not just about the food or drink, but it's also about our behavior as well. And then the Prophet ﷺ said that if a person, you know, tries to engage with you in a, in a negative manner, in an, in an antagonistic manner, then you should say that, in You say, I am fasting, and the Prophet ﷺ said, say it twice. And the scholars have said that this could be either, um, you know, out loud to the person, uh, and twice for emphasis, so you say, I'm fasting, I'm fasting. So, you know, you're just trying to emphasize to the person that you don't want to engage in this type of uh, interaction. Um, or it could be within themselves as well uh, to restrain oneself. So you say you, so you say to yourself, it's your inner voice, you know, saying to yourself that, I'm fasting, I'm fasting. And therefore, you're trying to restrain yourself. Or it could be both. So you say, in once to the person that is trying to engage with you uh, in, a, in a negative manner and you say it to yourself as well so that you remind yourself that you are fasting and that you do not you know you restrain yourself from responding in a in, in a negative manner inshallah so this is what we learn uh, with regards to uh fasting now allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says it's interesting right i mean allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, could have just given us the command that ya yuhalladhina amanu kutiba alaykum as-siyam la'allakum tattaqun right he could have just said that but allah subhanahu wa ta'ala added a, a very important part in saying kutiba alaykum as-siyam kama kutiba ala alladhina min qablikum as was prescribed upon those or prescribed on those before you right so the prophet so allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, is telling us that this act of fasting this obligation is not something which is new for us it's not something which is um you know a new type of obligation for us but rather this was something that has been prescribed on people before us as well and some of the mufassirun the commentators of the quran state um that read this refers to the people of the book while others say that fasting was prescribed upon all the nations since the time of sayyidina adam alayhi salam now allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best but it appears that you know this is a a very important form of worship towards allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and definitely we are not the only ones who have been um, commanded to, to practice it. And it was prescribed to nations before us as well. And we find that, you know, fasting is a crucial element of all the divine religions. And of course, some aspects may be different um, but uh, in terms of how it is done. But the concept is the same. And that is to say that without fasting, it appears that no human being can develop spiritually. No human being can spirit uh, can develop fully spiritually without fasting, because the purpose of religion is to reconnect human beings with the Lord, and fasting is a major, major part of that. And we find that the method of fasting, uh, like fasting, exists, but the method is different for in other faiths. For example, you know, uh, you have in the Jewish faith, you have Yom Kippur, the day, of, the fast of the Day of Atonement, which is a twenty-five hour fast. Uh, where there is no eating, there's no drinking, um, you know, from what I understand, no leather shoes can be uh, worn, uh, no bathing, no washing, no perfumes and lotions, no marital relations. And then, of course, in Christianity as well, we have, you know, the fasting of Lent, 
uh, the 40 days. And then um, that form of fasting involves leaving something which a person normally enjoys. And it could be a type of food, for example. So there are different types of fast that we find. Um, and of course, in um, in Surat Maryam as well, we find instances, actually two instances, um, of um, uh, of the um, uh, of, of the fast that was the fast of no talking, right? And this is something which was uh, done in the past. I mean, you can say it's two instances, or at least one in Surat Maryam and other places as well. But we find that basically that was we learn from from the commentators that perhaps that was another form of worship as well that people were uh, were fasting and their fast was actually not to talk. Um, and whenever for a certain period of time, and whenever I think about that, I wonder, you know, that whether, uh, you know, it would be useful perhaps for us to practice that type of, uh, uh, of that practice as well. Of course, in, in for this ummah, it is not a, a, a religiously sanctioned uh, action. Uh, so if a person goes without talking for an extended period of time, it will not be, it will not count as a fast. Um, of course, they will protect themselves most likely from saying things which are perhaps sinful or, or which are which are bad. Uh, so, the, you know, they will be rewarded in that sense. Um, but just fasting with no talking, um, that is not something which is established in the religion of Islam today. So that is not something that we can practice or that we need to practice as a part of fasting. But just it was just an example to say that in the previous religions as well, um, that that the previous, uh, any different, I shouldn't say previous religions, but rather in, in the different versions of Islam that came in the past that the various prophets of Allah brought, um, there were similar concepts, but their execution or the way of doing them was different. Um, so now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioning that fasting has been prescribed to others before us, this could be um, a form of encouragement for us or strengthening of, to us, either to say that, you know, if it seems difficult, don't worry because others before you also had to do it. So it is not something that, you know, that is being sent uh, to, to be made a difficulty for you. And it also could be a form of encouragement, encouragement as well that, you know, others have done it in the past and therefore you should be able to do it as well, inshallah. Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us then the main purpose of fasting. And this is actually very important to know for all of us um, because, you know, when we embark upon doing something, we need to know what the objective is. Isn't that the case? That when we, you know, are, are starting a project, when we are starting some something new, um, it's very important to know what the objective is. And I actually remember some of my uh, journalism professors because I studied journalism, alhamdulillah. So some of my journalism professors, I remember used to say that before we start writing or producing anything, we should always have a focus statement, which is a one, you know, one sentence statement with one verb that, that basically highlights what we are trying to achieve and what our objective is so that we can maintain focus. Um, so therefore, you know, when we embark upon the month of Ramadan and especially inshallah for those of us who will be fasting, um, it is important to know what the objective is. What are we actually trying to achieve? Um, and a lot of times, you know, you will find uh, some nice statements by people which are somewhat true, partially true, where we say that, you know, we are fasting for this reason or that reason, you know, to empathize with the less fortunate, for example, to be more grateful. And these are all perhaps some of the wisdoms behind fasting. But the ultimate objective, the main objective is not that. The main objective is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told us in this verse of Surah Al-Baqarah is that, لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ 
so that you, you may become those who attain taqwa, so that you may become those who are people of taqwa. So the ultimate objective of, of Ramadan and Ramadan fasting is that we attain the taqwa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If a person goes through the month of Ramadan, fasts, does everything right, but there's no increase in their taqwa, then that means that something critical is lacking. It doesn't mean that the Ramadan was a complete waste. That's not what we're saying. But it indicates that something is missing in the Ramadan. So we ask ourselves, in previous Ramadans, when we go through the fasting, when we end up at the end of the month of Ramadan, do we have greater mindfulness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or not? Do we have greater reverent fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or not? Do we find ourselves as being more God conscious and more God fearing, you know, the reverent fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that stops a person from doing any action that would displease him? Is that something that is found inside of our hearts or not? Because the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that at-taqwa ha right? So fasting could have its physical benefits. It could have, you know, all different types of benefits. Um, you know, it, it might be good for our health. Uh, you know, intermittent fasting, for example, is a big thing nowadays. Um, so it could be good for our weight. Although, unfortunately, as many of us know, Ramadan is usually, you would think it would be good for our weight, but it actually is the opposite, sadly and unfortunately. Um, but that is, you know, a person may have lost weight, may have decorated their house, may have done all these things, you know, to eaten a lot of delicious food, have done all of that through Ramadan. But if at the end of Ramadan, they're not feeling anything different here in their heart with regards to their relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then that means that they've missed out on a critical part. So we should ask ourselves that, you know, do we have that feeling or not at the end of Ramadan or at the end of our fasting, even, you know, when we break our fast, do we have a feeling in our heart or not that it has changed with regards to or that has deepened or that has improved with regards to our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? So this is a very, very important part, or we should say the most important part of Ramadan fasting. Um, one definition we find of taqwa is, you know, or practically is staying away from everything haram, disliked, frowned upon, and even actions that are neither forbidden or, or, or and neither recommended and are of no benefit. Okay, so basically upping our game when it comes to our obedience and our submission towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, so not only staying away from everything that is haram, because that obviously you have to stay away from anyways, but on top of that, try to stay away from things which are disliked and things which are frowned upon, and even the actions that are neither forbidden and are, are neither recommended and are those of no benefit. So really, really, you know, improving our behavior and our uh, our uh, strengthening our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that we become so careful we become so careful about what we engage in and what we do and what we say and what we watch and what we listen to that we do not even want to go near haram. We don't even want to go near anything that even may remotely be displeasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that is one definition or one way of understanding uh, taqwa. Um, now, you know, as I mentioned earlier, this is a prescription that we need every year. So it's a recurring, repeating prescription that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, has given us. And, you know, it's not just about becoming conscious or mindful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but it's also, believe it or not, an invitation of friendship. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, um, you know, uh, in the Quran, Allah inna awliya Allahi la khawfuna alayhim wa la hum yahzanoon. 
الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَكَانُوا يَتَّقُونَ that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that, listen, the friends of Allah, awliya Allah, the friends of Allah shall have no fear nor shall they grieve. You see, there's a state, a station, when a person gets, you know, so close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala considers them to be there, to, to be his friend. Okay, and it's true, there is such a state. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about it himself. And the Prophet sallallahu has told us as well. And the way of getting to that state is about continuously sticking to the obligations and then increasing the voluntary and optional worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, so going out of our way, not just sticking to the bare minimum, but going out of our way to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, a person continues to get closer and closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, up to a point where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then just starts loving that person. Okay, so Allah, so this Ramadan is an opportunity to get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in that sense. Okay, so the Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, about these people, about these friends of his, that they are those who have believed and have been fearful of Allah. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, For them, there is a, the good news in the worldly life and in the hereafter. So don't not only do they have good news in the hereafter, but they also have good news in this world as well. Because they have the protection of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, they have the support of the, you know, the, the, the hidden forces, the angels of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, um, the guardian angels, for example, if you if you would like to understand it that way. So in any case, these are the benefits of being friends with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that he wants us to become people of taqwa, this is actually pushing us along on, the, on that path of friendship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, of becoming a close friend of Allah and of course, that is a beautiful state, a beautiful station to reach. And that is something that we should all desire and should want to push ourselves towards uh, because that is a completely, completely different experience to be the friend of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to be considered that by Allah azza wa jalla. Just as a note, uh, since I've mentioned this, that a person never, you know, truly, a, a person who is truly the friend of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will never claim that they are the friend of Allah. They will never claim that Allah loves them. Okay? So this is very, we have to be very careful about this because sometimes we may come across people who may try to present themselves in this manner or may try to tell us that, you know, they are the friends of Allah or that they are beloved by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and someone who is truly the friend of Allah, someone who is truly beloved by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, believe it or not, will actually never claim that. They, were, they will never ever claim that. Right? They will never ever tell people that, oh, I have reached the station because they will never take it for granted. Right? They will always consider themselves to be weak and to be humble and to be sinful. But it is in that state that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will love them because of their humility and their commitment and their devotion to him. So just as a side note, keep that in mind that anyone who portrays themselves as a friend of Allah, who portrays themselves as being very pious, of being very close to Allah, is doing the exact opposite of what is required by someone who is pious or someone who is beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and someone who is close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, um, so here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, going back to the verse, telling us that the objective, the primary objective of fasting is to attain taqwa, to become mindful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to attain piety, to get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, now, um, the wisdom behind the fasting uh, could be, Allah knows best, 
that we stay away from that which is normally halal and we do that only for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay? So normally, normal days, um, when you're not fasting, you, you're thirsty, you want to drink a water, you go and you have a drink of water. Up until now, there's no difference of opinion on the permissibility or halalness of water. Alhamdulillah. Okay? You don't need halal certified water. So water is halal, alhamdulillah. It's pure. You, you're thirsty, you go and you drink it and there's no issue. Right? You want an apple, you want to have a snack and you're hungry. There's absolutely no prohibition. As long as the food is halal, it's perfectly fine. But when we're fasting, that which is halal becomes haram upon us. And it's only for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we train ourselves to think twice before doing something. You know, maybe it has happened to you, uh, but I know it happens to me. You know, you start fasting uh, in Ramadan, and then the first day or two, you know, you get thirsty. You feel like going to the kitchen. You feel like going to the water cooler, getting a, a drink of water, getting a snack if you get hungry. And then all of a sudden, oh, you have to think twice. And you say, oh, okay, yes, I'm. oh, no, I'm fasting. And you have to remind yourself. And vice versa, after Ramadan, when you're no longer fasting, you start thinking twice. You say, oh, should I drink or not? Oh, yes, okay, it's, it's the day of Eid, or it's the day after Eid, and I'm not fasting right now. Uh, unless you're fasting in the month of Shawwal, of course, the sixth fast of Shawwal. So we train ourselves to think twice before doing something. And what does this do? This builds consciousness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because we start asking ourselves, you know, am I allowed to do this? What is Allah going to think about this? So we learn to hold back and pause and think before we do something and consider whether it is pleasing or displeasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Other purposes, of course, or other wisdoms behind fasting, um, of course, a means of increasing gratefulness, thankfulness, appreciation for the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that when something is not available, we feel its value. When something is not available, we feel its value. When something is with us all the time, we have access to it all the time, we lose its value, right? We don't see it in the same way anymore because we, anymore because human nature, we start taking it for granted, okay? So, um, you know, subhanAllah, I remember this, uh, I probably mentioned this before, um, but, you know, um, 2008, uh, alhamdulillah, I was gone for Hajj, you came back, um, and uh, within 15 days, right at the end of 2008, December 31st, I had stomach pain, uh, I had to go, I was appendicitis and had surgery. They took my appendix out. Alhamdulillah, everything went okay. Um, but of course, like with any other major surgery, uh, you're not allowed to eat for a few days. And subhanAllah, I still remember that the first solid I had was a slice of bread with peanut butter. Okay, a slice of bread with peanut butter. And that was the first thing I ate after two or three days or whatever it was. Um, and man, that slice of, peanut, uh, of, of bread with peanut butter never tasted that good. You know, that taste, that appreciation, the way I savored uh, every single bite of that toast with peanut butter, I never did ever before that or even after that, right? Because that the appreciation was so much greater because I'd been deprived of solids of food for two or three days. And this was the first thing that, I, you know, I got to eat and, and just the taste of it and everything about it was just so awesome. It was just so beautiful and so delicious, alhamdulillah. You know, so um, when we when we are um, deprived of something, then it increases our thankfulness and appreciation. So fasting also does that. It also breaks our desires and bad habits because the hunger forces the mind away from evil, right? When a person is hungry, you know, a person is hungry and, you know, it's, it's feeling uh, like they're starving, um, the mind doesn't really go towards you know, doing evil and, and committing sins and doing other things because the first thing you want to do is just get rid of the hunger first. 
right? And then when you eat and you're full and satisfied, and then that's when the desires start growing. So it is also a form of training ourselves and breaking our desires, especially our evil desires. And of course, the kindness and empathy towards the less fortunate because it gives us an opportunity to, to experience how those who, uh, who do not have enough to eat uh, feel, right? And that is also one of the wisdoms. But remember, it is not one of the, it's not the objective of fasting, but it is one of the possible wisdoms, one of the things that we should take from fasting. And of course, it is also a means of the forgiveness, of attaining the forgiveness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, because the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that man saama ramadana imanan wa ihtisaban ghufira lahu ma taqaddama min dhambi. That a person, you know, whoever fasts um, uh, through the month of Ramadan with faith, with iman, with faith, wahtisaban, and, um, you know, with perfect faith and with expectation of reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we should have that good hope from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Prophet said, It is going to, you know, they will be forgiven for all of their past sins. Um, it will be a means of wiping out their sins. Now, whenever we have a general hadith like that with regards to forgiveness, the scholars have often, you know, mentioned uh, that this refers to the minor sins and for the major sins, um, there is repentance that is required. So sincere repentance must be made for the particularly major sins or if the rights of others have been um, have been um, uh, taken uh, or people have been wronged, um, then those have also have to be uh, repaired as well. And there must be reparations for that in one form or the other in order for one to attain complete forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But nonetheless, there is great virtue uh, and it's, uh, fasting is a great means of attaining the forgiveness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? So basically don't let your fasting just make you hungry or thirsty for 15 hours, uh, 15 and a half hours, or you know whatever it's going to be, uh, but act in such a way that it will increase uh, your taqwa and make you worthy of attaining the forgiveness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, insha'Allah. The next ver um, in, in, um, uh, in the next verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, ayyama ma'adudat, and he, uh, he, he mentions fasting, right? The purpose of fasting, all of those things that we just discussed. Um, Allah SWT tells us that these are a limited number of days. This is for a fixed number of days or a few number of days, right? So it's 29 days, 30 days, no less, no more. Um, you know, so this was perhaps seen as a big commandment because remember, up until then, people were essentially just fasting um, on the day of Ashura, right? So there was no major month of fasting. Uh, so this 29, 30 days seems like a lot, but Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala is perhaps, uh, you know, saying uh, as a form of consolation to the believers that, you know, it's just a few days. It's not like you have to fast for the rest of your life. You know, it's not like you have to fast for the entire year. You are just fasting for 29 or 30 days. Uh, so don't stress over it. You know, it's going to pass, inshallah. And, you know, make the best of it. And, and don't be too, too you know, don't take it as, as too heavy of an obligation. But it also serves as uh, serves another purpose, and that is that it's a reminder to us that the days of Ramadan are limited and few. So don't let them slip by. Yesterday for the children, I was giving the example of a shopping spree. You know, when a person wins a shopping spree, a spree at a store, I was selling them Toys R Us because they're kids, but pick any store that you like to shop at and if or a mall, and you win, uh, you know, a shopping spree. When a person wins a shopping spree, they have a limited amount of time. They don't tell you like, oh, you have a week 
or you know, you have a month to go and pick up whatever you want. A shopping spree normally is only two minutes, 10 minutes, whatever, a limited amount of time. Um, so what do people do? They go and they run. They run down the aisles with their cart, you know, filling it in. First of all, they're planned beforehand because normally it's not a surprise. They'll know that they're going for the shopping spree. So they're going to plan beforehand to make sure that they're going to be picking up the things that they actually want, number one. Number two, when the time comes and the doors open and they're allowed to go free, they're not going to waste their time, you know, reading things and walking slowly and looking around, spending time on their phone and being distracted. No, they are going to be picking up the things that they want because they know that the clock is ticking. So, the Allah, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that, you know, this is a limited number of days. So do not let them slip by. Do not let them slip by because subhanAllah, you know, last year we were wondering, you know, are we going to see Ramadan again or not? And then it seems like, inshallah, thumma inshallah, we will make it to the month of Ramadan, inshallah, Allahumma balighna Ramadan. You know, inshallah, we will make it to the month of Ramadan. And when it comes then, it's a great blessing and it's a limited amount of time. So don't waste it, you know, just, just be as efficient as possible in really doing the things that are going to be most beneficial because once it's gone, it's gone and you don't know if you're going to get it again or not. So value it. Like it's something that's tremendously, extremely, extremely valuable. Okay, so ayyam al that. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us the injunctions with regards to uh, those who are ill who, or those who are on a journey, right? فَمَنْ كَانَ مِنْكُمْ مَرِيضًا أَوْ عَلَى سَفَرٍ فَعِدَّةٌ مِنْ أَيَّامٍ أُخَرٍ Or وَمَنْ كَانَ, مِنْ وَمَنْ كان مَرِيضًا أَوْ عَلَى سَفَرٍ oh, no, Sorry, that's, there's two mentions. So the first one is um, فَمَنْ كَانَ مِنْكُمْ مَرِيضًا أَوْ عَلَى سَفَرٍ Yes. فَعِدَّةٌ مِنْ أَيَّامٍ أُخَرٍ so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that whoever is sick or uh, is upon a journey, then the prescribed number should be made up from other days, okay? So essentially, if someone is sick, now what does sick mean? Okay, what is marid? So severe sickness, meaning that when coupled with fasting, it will cause harm to the person or increase their sickness, okay? So we're referring to severe sickness. Um, every effort should be made, of course, to manage that sickness and fast if possible. Okay, and mashallah, tabarakallah, that's what I've seen, especially with many of our elders, subhanAllah, because mashallah, they have fasted most of their lives. If they find themselves in illness or a situation, they really don't want to act upon this dispensation, um, perhaps even too much, you know, it's meaning that if they really do have an illness and they are at serious risk, for example, if they're not, you know, taking their medication through the day because they're fasting and, you know, the, the impact of that. Uh, the harm of that is building up in their bodies and, you know, it can be very harmful, but they will still try so many times to fast because they, they love this act of worship so much and they don't want to let it go. And mashallah, that's an excellent sentiment to have. Um, so it's not some, it's not a, a, a dispensation that should be taken uh, easily or, or, or carelessly that, you know, oh, I'm just sick, you know, I have a slight cold or something and, you know, I, it's okay, I'm not going to fast. So it shouldn't be, uh, we shouldn't have an approach of carelessness towards this. But at the same time, if it actually is a severe, serious sickness and there is a real threat to our to our well-being and our health, then we should take this dispensation as well, right? So there's a, is a, there's a balance there between not being careless, but at the same time not trying to overdo it and putting ourselves and, and, our, and our health um, at risk. Now, a severe sickness essentially is a sickness that will be made worse by fasting, okay? Or the recovery will be delayed by fasting. Or the fasting will cause intense hardship, even if it does not make the sickness worse or delay the recovery, but it's going to cause real severe intense hardship. Um, and 
The scholars also include those who fear that they may become sick because of fasting, right? So if there's a real legitimate fear that if that a person fasting, especially when the fasts are long, like 15 hours, um, is going to, you know, there's a real legitimate established concern um, that that may lead to a person becoming sick, um, then they, they will be excused um, as well. Uh, but they should believe that it will most likely harm them if they are to fast and not just an unfounded uh, fear. Uh, Imam al-Nawwi said that with regard to the fasting, uh, or sorry, to the person who is slightly sick and who does not suffer any obvious hardship, it is not permissible for him, for her to break their fast. There's no difference of opinion among us concerning that. This is the other words of Imam al-Nawwi. So, you know, we should uh, know that, yes, there is um, uh, an avenue available because you see all of the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala they are practical and they are for those who are able to do them and for whoever is not able to do them safely um, and there's real risk of harm then of course there are other uh, alternatives that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given so we always have a way you know, sometimes people uh, ask when we have open uh, houses at the masjid, for example, or with regards to fasting, people who are not Muslim, they are curious. A lot of times they ask, well, what about, you know, a person, if they're not able to kneel, for example, they're not able to bow or when they're praying, what do they do? So, of course, we have, uh, you know, um, a dispensation. So a person who is not able to, to, to you know, who has pain, maybe, was not able to go in sujood, was not able to bed down, you know, they can sit. And they can offer their salah, right? Um, even the person who's not able to sit up can offer salah while laying down. You know, so there's always a way. Similarly for fasting as well, you know, yes, we should all fast when fasting is obligatory upon us. But if we have a serious issue, um, you know, with regards to our health and our well-being, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us this uh, this opportunity that, um, um, that we fast on other days, right? Equal number of days on other days, meaning when we are feeling better, perhaps the illness has passed, or maybe the days are shorter and we are able to handle it, then we make up the fast at that time. Um, and the journey has also been mentioned, right? So one excuse is for the person who is sick or who is at risk of, of becoming seriously sick due to fasting. And the other is for a person who is upon a journey. Um, so now this words, this this these words, uh, uh, right? So this distinguishes a person on a journey from a regular traveler traveling short distances. Okay, so if you are commuting, and most people are probably not commuting right now due to the the, the situation, but normally, you know, if someone is just commuting to and from work and school, they're not really travelers, right? They're just commuting. They're not actually traveling on a journey. So this doesn't apply to them. Um, but the distance uh, that the scholars have mentioned is the same when the that allows a person to shorten their prayers, or some will say when their prayer should be shortened, and that is the distance of approximately 48 miles or 77 kilometers, give and take, but generally approximately in that range. Um, so when a person is intending uh, to, to travel in that distance, um, then um, you know they are considered to be travelers, um, and therefore, they may be excused from fasting if, um, you know, they are traveling and they would like to avail of that dispensation. Um, if a person is traveling and staying in a city for some amount of time, and again, most likely will not be happening right now, but if a person is traveling and staying in one city for consecutive days, then according to the Shafi'i and the Maliki schools, it would be uh, for a minimum of four days. So if you plan to stay for four days in a city in one place, 
Um, then at that point, um, you know, you are uh, up until that point, you're considered a traveler, from what I understand. And then after that, you will no longer be a traveler. Um, in the Hanbali school, from what I understand, is for uh, more than four days. Okay, so in the first case, if you're staying for four days, um, then you are considered a traveler. Uh, or And then for in the Hanbali school, if you're staying for more than four days, um, you would not be considered a traveler. And in the Hanafi school, if you're staying for more than 15 days, so up to 15 days or up to these numbers that are mentioned, you are considered a traveler. But if you stay, if you intend to stay for longer than those periods of time, then you are no longer a traveler. And therefore, you will have to um, then um, uh, complete the fast uh, uh, as you would normally do. And this is from what I understand. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Um, and uh, for three of the four imams of fiqh, there's also the condition that you are not traveling for sinful purposes. They say that if you're traveling and if you have, uh, you know, intentions of traveling for something haram, then you cannot avail of this dispensation that you are, that you do not have to fast and that, you know, you can make up your fast later. And this is, will only be people, only be for people who are traveling without any um, evil intentions. Um, so that is uh, for the person who is, uh, traveling, it is not required, right? If a person is traveling and they feel like they can still fast, um, then they they are perfectly allowed to go ahead and to continue their fast. Um, but if a person feels that it will become difficult or they just want to avail of this dispensation, then they are able to do that uh, according to the conditions which we have just uh, discussed. Other valid excuses, of course, uh, would be uh, pregnancy, uh, breastfeeding, if it is going to potentially harm the child or harm the mother. Uh, or old age, infirmity, right? So any situation that can present uh, serious harm uh, or that can cause serious harm to a person, um, then in those cases, you know, a person uh, can uh, choose to not fast in Ramadan and then try to make up those fasts later when the days are shorter. Um, and if they're not even able to do that, um, then of course there is um, a payment that they can make, inshallah, which, uh, or feeding the poor that can be done, inshallah, which we will uh, discuss shortly. Um in all these cases, so travel, illness, pregnancy, breastfeeding, um, or in cases where you know uh, sisters are not able to uh, fast due to the mercy of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, it has been made for, uh, forbidden in certain cases. Um, in all of these cases, except old age, you should try to make up the fast later, unless it is not possible due to illness. Okay, so unless it is not possible due to illness, fasting should be the fasting that is missed should be made up. Um, and um, and um, and if it cannot be made up, um, then expiation will be paid. Um, and according to three of the four imams of fiqh, you must make up the fast before the next Ramadan. And otherwise, you will have to make up and pay the expiation. Okay, so you would have to do both. So there's a great incentive to make up the missed fast before the next Ramadan comes around. around. And indeed, that was the practice of Aisha radiallahu anha, that she would make up uh, her misfasts in the month of Sha'ban before Ramadan came along. Okay, so we should really try that if we have any fasts that we have missed and we are now capable of, of fasting, we should try to make up those fasts uh, before the next Ramadan comes along. Um, you know, according to most schools of fiqh, uh, if we don't do that, then uh, the expiation uh, will be required and we would still be required to make up the fast as well. The exception to that is, of course, is old age or a illness where a person does not recover from. And in that case, they would not be required to make it up, and Allah knows best. Um, now, in, in this verse, in the beginning, actually, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said um, um, that a person... Um, 
miskin. That who, those who have strength on them is a ransom, the feeding of a per, poor person. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says um, that um, فَمَنْ تَطَوَّعَ خَيْرًا فَهُوَ خَيْرٌ لَهُ وَأَنْ تَصُومُ خَيْرٌ لَكُمْ إِنْ كُنْتُمْ تَعْلَمُونَ Then whoever does good voluntarily that is better for them and that you fast is better for you if you know. And this is one of the evolutions in fasting. So in the early days, the believers, in the early days, okay? So, you know, if you're just reading the Qur'an and the meaning, be careful that you don't confuse yourself here. So in the early days, the believers had the option of not fasting and feeding the poor instead. But that option was abrogated by the following verse, which we're going to discuss. And it has been a tradition of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to send difficult commands down gradually. So even the prohibition of alcohol, which was very difficult for the Arabs of the time, it came down gradually. Um, so Ibn Abbas uh, says that the abrogation was for everyone except those who are not able to fast, meaning the elderly, the pregnant women, and so on. Okay, So uh, anyone who was not able to fast um, then for them, of course, that, uh, that that dispensation is still there. But everyone else who is able to fast no longer has the option of just choosing not to fast. This was the case in the beginning. That people, a person could say, okay, you know what? I don't feel like fasting. I am going to instead feed the poor. But that is not something that is permissible anymore because this allowance has been abrogated by the next verse, uh, which we will discuss, inshallah. Now, in terms of the payment, right, or or what needs to be given to, to how much is required in order to uh, atone for a missed fast, um, then the payment is approximately, um, you know, one point, there's difference of opinion, but basically 1.6 kilograms to 3.2 kilograms approximately of wheat, rice, dates, a staple, um, or it's equivalent in cash, according to, to some. There may be some more discussion around that, but essentially that is what we're looking at in terms of price. Um, normally, you know, I would advise people uh, $5, $10 uh, per day. Um, you know, yes, the, the, the calculation is based on wheat or rice or dates, but in today's times, you know, if you look at, you know, how much a person needs to buy a decent meal or to have enough food for themselves for the day. So, and especially if you're able to afford it, you know, $10 to be safe, uh, you know, per day uh, or $5 if needed. Um, or it could be if you're not giving it here, you're giving it overseas in another country, you could do it based on, you know, the the, the uh, conditions and the prices there. But nonetheless, the, the, the basic measurement is approximately 1.6 kilograms to 3.2 kilograms, some differences of opinion there as well, uh, of the of wheat, rice, or dates, or their equivalent uh, price, inshallah. Now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the next verse, شَهْرُ رَمَضَانَ الَّذِي أُنزِنَ فِيهِ الْقُرْآنِ the, the month of Ramadan in which the Quran, uh, the month of Ramadan in which the Quran has been revealed, right? So Ramadan. Now this is actually the only instance that we find the word Ramadan, right? The name of the month of Ramadan mentioned in the Quran. Okay, so Ramadan derived from the Arabic root of Ra Mim Dad. Okay, Ramad, Ramad. So which means intense heat, and some scholars say that it is linked to the feeling of heat created by hunger during fasting. Uh, and it's interesting because, you know, I found references to stomach heat in, in traditional Chinese medicine, for example, right? So it's something that is known that there's heat in the stomach um, that or heat that is created during fasting. And some of the scholars say that perhaps it is linked uh, to that. Now, the question that comes up is, well, Ramadan fasting became obligatory later on. Ramadan existed from before. Uh, so was that really the reason why it was called Ramadan? Allah knows best. Uh, some will say that, you know, the month of Ramadan used to be a fixed month during the fixed season uh, in which... Uh, 
you know, in the summer months when it was very, very scorching hot, uh, and therefore it was called Ramadan. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala knows best. Now, what's interesting is that heat is used to purify, right? Solid metal is heated up to purify it, right? So, for example, I always give the example. I know it's funny to imagine, uh, but when you have a self-cleaning oven, you know, the oven itself doesn't have like brushes and scrubbers and stuff that it cleans. What does it do? It's actually a uh, high temperature that burns off any particle that doesn't belong in the oven. Okay, so when we make that link between heat and Ramadan and fasting, so fasting can be discomforting. Heat, you know, maybe be maybe created, but it is purifying us, right? It is another signal, perhaps Allah knows best, um, that it has something to do with purification and this heat that is created inside of us. It, for, it gives us um, spiritual purification. And on top of that, also interesting, that heat is also used for molding metal into different shapes. Right? If you heat metal up to a certain temperature, when it's really, really hot, you can change the shape. And when it cools, it becomes solid. So similarly, Ramadan heats up our soul in our heart, allowing us to become the people that we want to become, allowing us to become the people that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to become. So we are able to change our bad habits and you know create schedules. And inshallah, if we do it with, with solid intention and conviction, then inshallah, it will stick. Okay, so some just some reflections with regards to heat. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best, but nonetheless, it's a form of purification. And it is an opportunity for purification. And not just purification, but molding our behavior into better behavior, inshallah. Um, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, uh, in which the Quran was revealed as guidance um, as guidance for mankind and with vivid features and the criterion for right and wrong. So the Quran was revealed in the month of Ramadan. Okay, now the question comes up, how is that possible? Because Quran was revealed over a period of how many years? 23 years, right? During the life of the, the prophethood of the Prophet Wasallam. But essentially, the scholars say that the Qur'an was revealed in Ramadan from the Lawhul Mahfuz, from the preserved tablet where Allah SWT has preserved it, to the house of glory, the Baytul Izza, in the first heaven. And then from there, it was revealed over a period of 23 years as needed to the Prophet wasallam. So there's actually two stages of revelation. So the first stage of revelation happened in the month of Ramadan. And also the revelation became, began in the month of Ramadan as well, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best, but this is what we understand. So the month in which the Quran was revealed, meaning revealed in its entirety, the first stage of the revelation, and secondly, the beginning of the second stage of the revelation upon the Prophet sallallahu in the month of Ramadan. Now, the Quran has a special relationship with the month of Ramadan, and the Prophet sallallahu actually um, used to review his Quran with the angel Jibreel alayhi salam. And Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu relates, this is recorded in Sahih al-Bukhari, that Jibreel used to review the Quran with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam once every year, and he reviewed it with him twice in the year in which he passed away, meaning in Ramadan. Okay, so this is good practice for us, for anyone who has memorized the Quran, or whatever portion of the Quran you have memorized, to review it. And review it with someone else if possible, right? So read it yourself, but also try to review it with someone else as well, so that you know we can practice upon the sunnah of the Prophet وسلم, as well. That you recite to someone, they listen to you, and then you recite the you know um, they recite to you, and you listen to them as well. Inshallah. 
uh, of course, uh, the recitation of Quran in the night prayers, right, also is something which is a special, um, uh, you know, a symbol of, of or practice in the month of Ramadan. Uh, the Prophet ﷺ saying that whoever prays Qiyam with the Imam until he finishes, it will be recorded as if he spent the whole night in prayer, right, in the month of Ramadan understood to be uh, Salat al-Taraweeh. Um, now, again, as we discussed last week, this is something which likely will not happen in terms of you know, being awful, uh, being able to offer Salat uh, Taraweeh, to offer Qiyam in the Masjid or in Jama'ah as we are used to doing every Ramadan. So inshallah, you know, this year it will be upon us. So whatever Quran you have memorized or if you can memorize something in the next week, inshallah, that you can lead your family, offer yourself inshallah in, in Salah. Uh, and or whatever you know, right? As Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says in the Quran, ma min al-Quran, right? So recite whatever is easy uh, of the Quran. So even if it's a few surahs that you know, try to listen to it from a qari. Try to correct your pronunciation. Try to improve your tajweed if you can, inshallah, and recite it, right? With um, with as much beauty and as nicely as you can. Um, whether in jama'ah for your family or even individually or perhaps both, right? Because sometimes we need private time. Right? We need time alone with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well. So try to do all of that and try to lead and read as much as you can, inshallah, and try to do it in the best way possible. Even if it means that you're repeating surahs or you know, even reading a few surahs over and over again, that is okay. Just try to develop. You know, Whenever we have this feeling of uh, helplessness in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's actually a beautiful thing. You know, sometimes people get worried, like, you know, there's kids making noise in the masjid, I can't concentrate, you know, or there's something going on and I'm not able to focus in my salah. Or for example, you know, I don't know much Quran, I don't know what to read. So it doesn't matter, just stand in front of Allah with that feeling in your heart, screaming, you know, saying up in your, your heart, saying to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Ya Allah, this is my weak state. This is my weak state that I don't know any more of your Quran. I don't know any more of, the, of, your, of your beautiful words. And this is all that I know and this is all that I'm able to present. But Ya Allah, I love you and I'm standing in front of you with humility and I'm seeking your mercy, I'm seeking your guidance, I'm seeking your, your protection and your forgiveness. Ya Allah, please grant it to me. Oh Allah, I have presented myself in this weak state without knowing much about you, without knowing much about your words, without understanding much. But Ya Allah, I'm sincere and I'm here in front of you. Oh Allah, please accept it from me. You know, so whatever little bit we are able to do. Similarly, if you have distractions, you go in sujood, there's kids making noise, there's stuff happening, but you say, Ya Allah, this is the state I am in. This is the situation I am in. Please accept it from me. Oh Allah, this is the best I can offer at this time. Oh Allah, please do not reject me. Oh Allah, please accept it from me and guide me to make my salah better, to make my Quran better, to have more khushu in my salah, to have more concentration and devotion in my prayers. Oh Allah, this is something I lack and I don't know how to attain it. Oh Allah, please grant it to me. So have that feeling of, of, of neediness and of humility, of weakness in our salah. And in that state, inshallah, even if you're just repeating two surahs of the Quran, even if you're just, you know, doing whatever little bit you can, inshallah, those few moments will be extremely, extremely valuable and extremely beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, inshallah. Okay, so we try to offer as much as we can. As we discussed last week, um, you know, according to the traditional schools of fiqh, the, the minimum raka'ah of taraweeh are 20 raka'ahs, right? And again, we see it in the haramain, masjid al-haram, masjid al-nabawi, that is what is offered. 
Um, but, you know, some have understood it to be eight, and there's a whole fiqhi discussion around it. Uh, so nonetheless, you know, if you're able to do 20, if you're able to do more, if you do less, whatever you're able to do, do as much as you can, inshallah. Do it as sincerely as you can. Try to spend as much time as you can in prayer, especially at nights, inshallah. You know, try to, especially when you're praying alone, try to prolong your sujood, you know, your prostration. That's a beautiful position to be in in front of your Lord. That's a beautiful position to cry in in front of your Lord, to make dua with your heart in front of your Lord, because that is the closest that a person can spiritually get to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this world that is in the state of sujood, of prostration. So just go down and just cry your heart out, cry your eyes out, pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and, and try to make it as beautiful and as sincere um, as you can, inshallah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who will accept and who will see your state, inshallah. Um, So going forward, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then repeats similar words as the previous verse with regards to those who are ill and those who are travelers. Um, so basically everyone has who is capable has to fast now. Um, and um, this is obligatory upon a person who is sane. So a person who is insane, um, fasting is not you know obligatory upon them. Um, if uh, their sanity comes back, then they will be required to make up for their... For, for their um, uh, for um, uh, for for um, fasting is not prescribed upon the insane, except if the insanity is brought on by a sin, by drinking or otherwise, uh, or maybe doing drugs or something. In in that case, makeup will be required when sanity comes back. Um, secondly, um, having bulur, so having reached the age of of uh, of puberty, so there's no accountability before that, um, and therefore you know a child is not required to fast. Um, however, you know the scholars have said. That uh, is good to advise children, encourage them to fast when they're seven, if they have the ability, the power to do so, uh, and if it's safe for them. And then at 10, really sort of get them to do it, just like prayer, you know, so at the age of 10, really encourage them and discipline them uh, if they if they need to be disciplined uh, in a nice way, of course, uh, like the prayer, because of course, this is one of the obligations that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put uh, upon us. Uh, but in any case, you know, always to do it with gentleness and with love, inshallah, so that that our children do not end up hating the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because of their negative experiences and negative, um, you know, feelings, but rather, you know, it is something that they are, are encouraged to do in a loving manner, um, and therefore it is something that they grow up as loving, inshallah, once they grow older. Um, the intention is very important. Um, so intention must be made before Fajr, right, before the morning, uh, and during every night of Ramadan. Um, the Prophet ﷺ has said that whoever does not determine to fast before Fajr will have no fast. Okay, so it's very important that we, we intend to do acts of worship, especially obligatory ones, inshallah. Um, you don't have to verbalize your niyyah. You don't have to say it out loud. Your niyyah is essentially to know in your heart, right? So if you've planned the night before, if you have the intention that, yes, I'm going to fast, or you have the intention I'm going to fast every day of Ramadan, inshallah, and especially in the morning, the night before, you have that thought, you have that intention inside of your heart, that resolve, then inshallah, that will be sufficient. And, you know, you don't have to uh, say it out loud. Um, if a person uh, eats by mistake, the Prophet said, um, if whoever forgets that he is fasting and eats or drinks, uh, then let him complete his fast for the one who fed him and gave him to drink was Allah. Okay, so, uh, you know, if you, uh, generally the scholars say, if you see someone who is fast, who is fasting and then you know they're fasting and then they're eating or drinking, uh, it's good to remind them gently. 
um, that you know you should uh, try, you know, you remind them nicely that they are fasting and that they stop fasting and that they stop eating and drinking. But there's an exception, perhaps, that if someone is uh, ill or weak um, and uh, they have forgotten that they're fasting and they're eating, then let them eat. Let them eat because this is Allah Subhanahu wa Taala who has, as the Prophet said, for the one who fed him and gave him to drink was Allah. You know, so Allah Subhanahu wa Taala arranges that they forgot. You can't do it purposely, of course. You can't purposely forget and say, "Oh, I forgot," because then you're not really forgetting. Um, but you know, if you, if someone has forgotten and they are uh, in need of energy or strength and they're having a hard time fasting, then let let it go and you know, don't necessarily remind them. But generally, you should remind people nicely, of course, that you know um, that they are fasting, uh, and of course, don't do that purposely yourself. Um, in the next verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, no, so, so far we've talked about fasting, we've talked about taqwa, we've talked about uh, uh, limited number of days, we've talked about um, um, illness and travel, we've talked about the month of Ramadan, the revelation of the Qur'an. Um, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, tells us at the end, actually, at the end of, um, of these commands, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, um, that the, you know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants ease for us. Allah wants ease for you and does not want hardship for you. Okay, so the intention of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the purpose is not to make this hard for us, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants ease for us, does not want hardship for us, and that is why He has offered these um you know exceptions and these dispensations uh to make uh this practically easy for us. And all of this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, and all of this because so that you may complete the number of days. Um, and so that you may proclaim the takbir of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for having guided you, and that you may be grateful. So first, so directly related with fasting was to attain taqwa. That's the number one objective. And then here at the end of it all, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that we are to proclaim the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is what we do on Eid, of course, with the takbirat. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also telling us that we should be grateful, right? So taqwa, and then glorifying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and being grateful. So these are some of the objectives that we find uh, from the injunctions with regards to uh, fasting. Now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, after all of that, turns towards dua. وَإِذَا سَأَلَكَ عِبَادِيَ عَنِّي فَإِنِّي قَرِيبٌ Beautiful verse, right? Allah, of course, all the verses of the Qur'an are beautiful, but especially touching, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and when my servants ask you about me, referring to the Prophet sallam, addressing the Prophet sallam, when my servants ask you about me, say, right? Or, or, or no, I am near. فَإِنِّي قَرِيبٌ أُجِيبُ دَعْوَةَ الدَّاعِ إِذَا دَعَانَ I am near, I respond to the call of one who prays to me. So they should respond to me. That, you know, so should they should respond to me and have faith in me so that they may be on the right path. Right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us that he is close. Right? When we ask, where is Allah? We ask about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I am near, I respond to the call. So they should respond to me, have faith in me, so that they may be on the right path. Right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala expressing closeness to his servants, right? Telling us that we should 
ask, we should respond to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is near. So, you know, Ibn Kathir rahimahullah, he mentions that there's a hint in this verse that the dua made at the end of a fast is accepted. So be very particular about making dua at that time, right? Because this verse is coming at the end of the injunctions regarding fasting, right? Um, or, I mean, there are a few more injunctions that are going to come afterwards, but but the, the, the clear injunctions, the detailed injunctions with regard to fasting are here. And then here we find Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioning dua, right? So make dua, follow the commandments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, have faith. And as Ibn Kathir rahimahullah mentions, you know, a hint here that dua at the end of the fast is accepted. So really value that time. You know, that time when everyone's getting ready for iftar and the food is being prepared and there's a mad rush. That time is actually a very valuable time for making dua. So try to prepare beforehand. First of all, don't make the iftar too, too fancy. Like it's nice, mashallah, to enjoy the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but don't make it a burden for yourself and for your family, right? So be easy, especially with the brothers who are at home, right? Those who are used to having, mashallah, their wives cook for them and present food, you know, have mercy. Have mercy on your family members. You know, let them enjoy, let your wife, let your, you know, whoever is working in the kitchen, uh, or if it's vice versa, right? If the husband is cooking, that happens as well. Also, you know, have mercy on your family members. Give them an opportunity as well to be rested and to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Of course, feeding family members and others is a great act of worship as well, no doubt, with sincere intentions. But be easy on each other. Don't be too demanding. Don't be constantly, you know, commanding and demanding all different types of food and, you know, things which are difficult. You know, be kind, be compassionate. Be simple because this is also from the Sunnah of the Prophet and one of the benefits of this will be that you'll be able, your entire family, inshallah, will be able to value the time at the breaking of the fast before Maghrib. You know those few minutes that those five, ten, fifteen, twenty minutes before uh, sunset. Uh, really value those and try to spend that time in worship and in making du'a. Uh, insha'Allah and remember that dua isn't meant to be a recitation although we can recite it and we do recite it from time to time but it's meant to be a meaningful conversation with your Lord with your Rabb so make it a meaningful conversation that comes from the heart right don't worry too much about rote memorization and recitation and of course I'm not trying to diminish the value of the sunnah du'as or the du'as that are found in the Quran they're very good if you can learn them and if you understand their meaning that is beautiful mashallah alhamdulillah that's wonderful but don't just make it about rote memorization or just reciting du'as make it a meaningful conversation words that come from your heart and in which your heart is engaged your mind is engaged and you have you know a feeling that you are talking to your rabb and that you are expressing your true situation in front of your uh, your Lord. Uh, with regards to dua, um, you know, amongst the etiquettes, to abstain from haram food, clothing, and earnings, because this is something that can impact the acceptance of dua, to do it sincerity, um, and firmly believe that nobody but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will fulfill your objectives, um, performing a good deed prior to the making of dua, uh, and mentioning this in the course of your dua, uh, so... The, what could be greater you know, you know, than, than fasting in the month of Ramadan? If you're capable of doing so, then mention that in your dua and try to do it at the end of your fast, inshallah. Um, to make wudu, right, before the dua, to be in a state of wudu, to face the qibla, uh, to sit as you sit in the prayer, uh, in salah, to praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at the beginning and at the end of the dua, uh, to convey salawat upon the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in your dua, to spread out both hands, uh, to raise both the hands up to the shoulders, you know, to 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 make it make them high, 
uh, to sit with humility and respect, uh, to mention one's helplessness uh, and dependence, um, uh, to mention the beautiful names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, um, to have presence of heart and mind, um, and to uh, uh, and have a high hope of acceptance of dua, to repeat your dua, to make it uh, you know regularly and repeatedly, and don't be impatient over the acceptance of dua. Don't be like, I've been making dua for so long, Allah never accepts my dua, Allah SWT never gives me what I want. Don't have this type of attitude towards your dua. You know, continue to make dua and continue to be patient and know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, inshallah, will give you what is best when it is best. What you want, when you want, may not be best for you in Allah's knowledge and wisdom. So be patient and know and hope and, and be convinced that inshallah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will grant you whatever is best for you, whenever it is best for you. And if what you are asking for, when you are asking for it, if that is the best for you, then inshallah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will grant it to you. But if he's not granting it to you, and you may not understand why, it may be a very difficult situation, but just know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best and knows better than certainly what we know. Um, in the last verse, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, talks about uh, what has been made lawful in terms of intimate relations. Um, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, you know, uh, mentions um, a betrayal that was happening. Um, and uh, Imam Qurtubi uh, mentions in its tafsir that um, that there is an indication that there was something which is not permissible in terms of intimate relations, which was forbidden at one point, and that is the case because we find a hadith of the Prophet وسلم, Imam Bukhari relates on the authority of Bara ibn Azim that in the early days the permission to eat and to drink and have uh, a marital intimacy were allowed on the condition that one doesn't sleep after breaking the fast. So it was allowed, yani not in the fasting, but after the fast, but on the condition that one doesn't sleep after breaking the fast. And a post-iftar nap would render these unlawful. SubhanAllah. Okay, so it was actually difficult before because if a person fell asleep, you know, after breaking their fast, then their next fast essentially would start right then. Uh, so some of the companions ran into difficulties. Qais ibn Sirma uh, anhu came home after a hard day's labor. He was tired. And the time of iftar was near and there was nothing to eat. So his wife went out to get something. But when she returned, she found him asleep due to his long tiring day. And when he got up, eating had become unlawful. And he went on to fast for the next day in the same condition. And by afternoon, he fainted. And the Prophet ﷺ was told about this incident, and then this verse was revealed. Um, and also, some companions were embarrassed about getting involved um, in marital intimacy after having a post-iftar nap, when it would have become uh, unlawful for them. Uh, so Allah Subhanahu wa Taala uh, mentioned this that um, that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Um, that Allah knew you were betraying yourself, so He relented towards you and pardoned you. So this was ease that was brought in to the obligations with regards to um, fasting. So Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says that you know intimate relations are permissible, um, and Allah Subhanahu uh, meaning after the fast, and Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, "فَكُلُوا وَشْرَبُوا حَتَّى يَتَبَيَّنَ لَكُمُ الْخَيْطُ الْأَبْيَضُ مِنَ الْخَيْطِ الْأَسْوَدِ." Um, that um, you know, uh, eat and drink until the white thread of the dawn becomes distinct from the black thread, and then complete the fast up to the evening. So essentially, this defines the fasting for our ummah that it is from the break of dawn. You know, the white thread 
is the break of dawn, that's the, the light that spreads horizontally after the darkness of the night, right? In the morning, as morning breaks, this is the break of dawn that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about. Um, when the white thread of dawn becomes distinct from the black thread, from the darkness that exists. So that is when Fajr time starts, and that is when the fasting is to start. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also says, Do not, uh, Do not have intimate relations uh, with your with your spouse while you are staying in the masjid for i'tikaf, of course. I'tikaf is seclusion in the masjid under particular conditions. Um, so eating or drinking are permissible in the masjid, right, when people are doing i'tikaf outside of the fasting hours, but marital, marital intimate relations are not uh, permissible. The Prophet ﷺ was very regular in performing i'tikaf, especially in the last 10 days of Ramadan. Especially in the last 10 days of Ramadan, in the last Ashra, the Prophet ﷺ would, would seclude himself uh, in, in the masjid uh, to the extent that some jurists have said that it is an emphasized sunnah that must be done by at least one man in the community. Otherwise, the entire community would be liable for not following the, the emphasized sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. But of course, that would be when the masajid are open and we are in exceptional circumstances today. So, uh, you know, that is not possible today. Some people have asked, would it be permissible, you know, to do atikaf at home? Allah knows best, but if you're not able to go to the masjid, um, then perhaps we can uh, identify a place, uh, a room, uh, a, a prayer space in the in the home, and we can try to do i'tikaf there. It, Allah knows best as to whether it will be the same or not, because normally i'tikaf, uh, at least for the men especially, is not valid at home, um, according to uh, to some, and for, uh, for others, even for the sisters, is not valid at home, while some say that it is permissible at home for the sisters. But nonetheless, under you know, in today's circumstances, since we cannot go to the masjid, um, there's probably no harm in making niya for antikaf, whether it's for the whole 10 days and you're trying to stay in one area of your home, your, your temporary prayer area, your musalla inside the home, and only going out to use the bathroom or for necessities, otherwise, you know, have everything brought to you. The Prophet ﷺ would also you know, not step outside of the masjid area for anything really unless it was necessary, unless it was uh, required. Um, you can just do a nafal i'tikaf as well, um, which could be done at any time in, the, in any masjid. But of course, we cannot go to the masjid. So inshallah, if you want to try to do it in your prayer area at your home, you can make niyyah that you are uh, doing i'tikaf in your temporary masjid. And we hope inshallah Allah will accept and grant you uh, the reward or some reward of fast of uh, of i'tikaf, inshallah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ends this whole discourse um, by saying um, that tilka hududullah, tilka hududullahi fala taqrabuha. As there's two two words that often come, taqrabuha and ta'taduha. Yes, so tilka hududullahi fala taqrabuha, that these are the limits of Allah, so do not go near them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has established the, the limits. The boundaries, the borders, says, Do not go near them. Do not go near that which is forbidden, which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has outlined that this is not for you to do. Don't even go near. You know, don't get adventurous and get close to the border. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us, stay away from the boundaries that He has said, that He has set. So again, the word taqwa comes that thus Allah manifests His signs to the people so that they may become people of taqwa, so that they may be God-fearing. So don't get close to the border. Um, be careful during the fast. Stay away from anything that could take you beyond the boundaries that Allah has said. So for example, um, you know, when you're fasting and you're gargling water, you know, be careful not to swallow the water. Uh, with the timings of suhoor and with iftar, you know, make sure you're not breaking your fast early. 
delaying it is also you know not uh, is is also discouraged. So don't delay your fast once the sun has clearly set or the time has come. Um, but you know don't be in a haste in doing that. Be careful with the time of fasting um, and, and so on. So just be mindful of the rules and regulations and the guidance of Allah and His Messenger, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Do not go near those boundaries of what is forbidden or what is not allowed. And Allah subhanahu wa taala reemphasizes the purpose to inculcate. Taqwa. So at the end of Ramadan, inshallah, at the end of our fasting, we want to become people of taqwa. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept our gathering. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us the people of taqwa. We ask Allah azza wa jalla to grant us taqwa um, in our fasting and at the end of the month of Ramadan and beyond. Ameen, ya rabbal alameen. Jazakumullah khaira for your patience and for your attention. If you have any questions, please feel free to write them uh, and I will try to answer them to the best of my ability, inshallah. And uh, coming up on Wednesday, we will have session three um, of this series of Refresh for Ramadan, inshallah, where we'll be looking at the Ramadan of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa inshallah, as to how the Prophet sallallahu alayhi used to spend his Ramadan, what he used to do, what he used to eat, and so, and, uh, you know, what are the things he engaged in, what was he careful about. So we'll be going through all of that, inshallah, on Wednesday. Um, but today, if you have any questions, uh, I'm here for you. So please uh, feel free to uh, write them in the chat box. Uh, and inshallah, I will try to answer to the best uh, of my ability. Uh, practically speaking, you know, it's uh, it's it's good to look at the timings, look at the calendars, uh, try to create a, a schedule, inshallah. Um, you know, there's some uh, very good material available online. I will also share some, inshallah, um, in the next few days with regards to uh, logs and, you know, uh, sheets that we can have to track our progress to Ramadan, to, uh, to uh, guide our Quran reading, inshallah. We'll be publishing that very soon, uh, a, um, a recommendation as uh, to how much to recite every day so that, inshallah, we can all have at least one Quran that we finish uh, in the month of Ramadan, hopefully more if you can, inshallah, but at least one so that, you know, at the end of Ramadan, we can have a dua for a khutm al-Quran, inshallah, collectively online. Uh, so that is something, inshallah, we'll be releasing in terms of guidance or suggestions on, on what to recite and uh, how much to recite each day, inshallah. As a general, um, you know, as a general principle, if we uh, recite, um, you know, in, in most prints, depending on which mushaf you have, um, but here, you know, I have the 15 line, uh, Mus'haf with me, uh, which is a common one, uh, and uh, you have the you know the Arabic script, but we also have the Urdu type of script as well. Uh, that you know, so there's different versions, but nonetheless, there are 15, 16 lines normally. If we uh, try to recite, so one juz usually has approximately 20 pages. Okay, so if after every salah we try to recite, you know, four pages or so approximately, um, you know, we uh, we will likely complete one juz a day. Uh, one part a day, or if we increase it a little bit, you know, we can do a little bit, little bit more than one, inshallah. Uh, and that way, uh, uh, by the end of Ramadan, we will have completed the entire Quran. Okay, so after every prayer, if we just focus on reciting four to five pages of the Quran, inshallah, most chances are that by the end of Ramadan, we will be done, inshallah. But nonetheless, we will be releasing a, a recommended schedule uh, that you can uh, practice, inshallah. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, to accept and to make this uh, month easy for us. Uh, so no questions. I think everyone is good. Jazakumullah uh, khair, everyone, uh, for uh, for joining us uh, and uh, for your dua and your well wishes. Uh, I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect you, to protect your family members, uh, to grant health 
uh, and protection to all of your loved ones. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, grant halal rizq uh, and open the doors of halal provision uh, for all of us. Amin ya rabbal alameen. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive us for all of our shortcomings. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala increase us in our taqwa. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala increase us in our love for him and his for, for this blessed month of Ramadan, for his words, for all of the deeds that bring us closer to him. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, to purify our hearts uh, and to really, really grant us the best Ramadan ever. I know everyone is thinking that this Ramadan is going to be different. Um, yes, most likely it will be different, but don't equate different with bad. Don't equate different with being negative. We have good hopes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that inshallah this will be a different Ramadan, but it will be a good Ramadan. And inshallah, if Allah wills, it could even be one of the best Ramadans that we have, inshallah, even without the masajid, even though we will be missing the masajid. But inshallah, we should have good hopes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that this will be a good Ramadan and be positive about it, inshallah. Wa jazakumallahu khaira. Subhanakallahu wa bihamdik. Nashadu wa la ilaha illa ant. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته